Good morning to all of you, and a blessed Sabbath to you wherever you are across Europe and, uh, of course, wherever you are in the world. Uh, it's a, a warm greeting to you from us here in Oregon and from uh, the Adventist World Radio Ministry, of which I am personally a part of. It's wonderful to be able to share together and uh, for me, it's an exciting thing to see all the participation that's taken place and the focus that ASI GYC has given to soul winning, evangelism, mission, uh, which is actually the heart of the church. And um, this morning, I want to share with you things that perhaps you may never have heard before, uh, but that are important. And I'd like to begin with this. Several years ago, after a, a bombing raid uh, by the Americans over Europe, uh, this plane was actually heading back to its base. When uh, they came to a certain spot, the alarm system rang that they had reached their point. It was nighttime at, at that time. And however, when they looked at their watch, the, the watch said that they shouldn't have been there, that it was too early for them to be there. And so even though the instrument was telling them that they had arrived, they did not believe it. They thought that maybe the enemy was using magnetism or some way to affect the compass, and therefore they decided to continue on. Unfortunately, they ran out of gas and they landed in the desert. All of the soldiers inside that plane died. One of them actually had traveled over 200 miles through the desert and finally died. They wondered what went wrong. How come they had crash landed in a desert when they had plenty of gas to get to their point? What they discovered was this, that the reason they had arrived early at their point was that there was a tailwind that pushed the plane faster than anticipated. They also wondered what happened to the instrumentation. Why couldn't they know that they were what they were supposed to be? And they discovered after testing the instruments that all the instruments were still working. There was nothing wrong with the instrument. The problem was that they did not believe the instrument. And they all perished. And this morning, I want to focus on some things that are very important concerning the Bible. The title is, Ye Ask Amiss. And that word amiss simply means that you miss. You, you uh, don't aim at the right, in the right way. And before we continue, I would like you to pray with me that God would lead us. Our Father, we thank you for the Sabbath, the hours that are holy. You have promised that you will bring a special blessing to those who enter within the envelope of holy time. And we pray that you'll guide us and lead us and grant us your spirit in Jesus' name. And thank you for hearing us. Amen. In the book of 1 John, chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, is our text for this morning. 1 John 5, verse 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. Now notice this wonderful text. It says that if we ask for anything according to his will, which means then 
that the instrument that God has given the Christian is the Bible. But in order for you to know, you have to open that book and you have to read for yourself the instructions. And once you know what God wants you to do, then you can ask for things according to his will. We become intelligent or informed as to what God's will is through that book called the Bible. Now, today there's a lot of uh, different ways that people are choosing to not necessarily go in harmony with the Bible because there are times that the Bible says things to us that goes against our particular uh, desires, our particular ideas, our particular culture, whatever it is, we try to find some way that we can circumvent what God says. And uh, one of the things that I hear from people when they want to do something uh, and uh, they know that the Bible does not permit it uh, indirectly, they say this. If God did not say that it couldn't be done, then it must be okay. Now, making a decision based upon what God has not said, therefore it must be okay, uh, is not really wise. So I'm going to introduce to you uh, this morning something that's interesting. Listen, mom says to her son, don't you go out this door. Well, a little while later, since mom had gone out, um, the son, the little boy, decided that he wanted to go out. But he knew that mother said, don't go out this door. So he's speaking to his sister and his sister said, you know, mother said not to go out that door. Well, he said, but she didn't say that you cannot go out the window. And I think you see the point. Too many of us are assuming that because God didn't say it, it must be okay. Or we find a different way to do what we want to do because we say, well, since God didn't say this, then it must be okay. I've heard a person say, well, God did not say you cannot smoke. And so it must be okay. But we do not come to conclusions based upon what God does not say, because God many times doesn't say things because he doesn't have to say it. That little boy knew that what mother was saying was, I don't want you to go outside. And normally people go outside through the door. She didn't have to say, I don't want you to go through the basement. I don't want you to go through the window. I don't want you to go through the attic. I don't want you to go. She didn't have to say that. All she had to do is say, I don't want you to go out the door. And it should have been sufficient. But there are too many people, and maybe some of you, do not consider that a dust say of the Lord is sufficient. And so we may try to find ways to still move ahead and do what we should do or what we want to do, knowing that it must be okay because God did not say so. We call this sub-audition language. Sub-audition language is something that's in the Bible. You may not have never heard of that word. You may never have heard of the concept, but in reality, it's in the scriptures. Subaddition simply means the act of understanding or supplying something not expressed. A reading between the lines, as it were. The Apple Dictionary says a thing that is not stated, only implied or inferred. So subaudition means below sound. It simply means then that many times God says something and by saying that, he doesn't have to say something else. For example, in Genesis 2, verse 2 and 3, God says, on the seventh day, he ended his work, which he had made. 
and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he rested from all his work which God created and made. Now, from this statement, we conclude then that the day of worship is the seventh day in which we are participating in. Subadditionally, however, he is making clear something as well. And what is that? By declaring the seventh day as a Sabbath, it eliminates any other possibility. Only the seventh day is holy. Any other day is subadditionally eliminated. In other words, by God saying that the seventh day is the Sabbath, then that simply means that he doesn't have to say, not the first day, not the second day, not the third day, not the fourth day, not the fifth day, not the sixth day. He doesn't have to say that. By stating what he says and what he means, it eliminates any other possibility. So if there are people out there that are keeping Sunday, for example, they're doing so based upon the idea that God did not say that you cannot worship on Sunday. Therefore, it must be okay. But the problem with that is that, that God did say which day is the day of worship. And subadditionally, it eliminates any other possibility. Let me give you another example. By declaring that he made the world in six days, he makes any other consideration invalid. It eliminates any other possibility. In other words, God did not have to say, I did not make the world in a thousand years or a million years or a hundred million years or 50 days. When he said that he made the world in six days, it eliminates any other possibility. Any other time is subadditionally eliminated. So you don't have to wait for God to say, uh, it isn't this, 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 because he said what he intended for you to understand. So subaudditional language is very present in the scriptures, only that the true heart that wants to do God's will does not have to try to find out what God did not say. To him, it is sufficient what God did say, and that settles it for him. Let me give you another example. According to the scriptures, uh, God says that an elder is a man. In fact, throughout the, the whole scriptures, elders are only men. Unless the word elder is used uh, as an adjective, which means then that the elderly person, that person is elderly or, or the elder man or elder woman. But the word elder itself uh, is a masculine word and in all the scriptures, elders are always men. So if God says that an elder is a man, and you can see that in Exodus 3.16, you can see that at the Passover, you can see that with the 12, uh, pardon me, the 70 elders who were selected, or in the New Testament, if you want to be a bishop or an elder, 1 Timothy chapter 3. So throughout the scripture, an elder is a man. So God doesn't have to say, an elder is not this, and it's not that, and it's not this, and it's not that. All he has to say is, an elder is a man, and that should be sufficient for us, or for the true believer. Here's another uh, subadditional uh, language used. God said about man, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, I want you to notice here that when God declares that he made man and then he made a woman which became his wife and they become one flesh, by stating so, it eliminates any other possibility. Jesus later on made it explicitly clear in Matthew 19, verse 4 to 6. And he said, have you not read 
speaking to the Pharisees, that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they're no longer twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. The disciples quite well understood what Jesus was saying, because he, they said, if this is the case with a man and his wife, then it's not good to get married. Well, Jesus did not intend for them to come to that conclusion, but he intended for them to understand that God made one woman for one man. And when that woman and man get together, their husband and wife, they become one flesh, as the Bible says. So is there any other possibility other than what God has declared? Since Jesus declares that a man becomes one flesh with his wife, can he become one flesh with anything else? What would be the answer? Well, the obvious answer is, of course, no. It has to be what Jesus says without Jesus having to explain all the things that it cannot be. Just by saying what it is, it's sufficient. For example, I had to take a trip when I was president of Guam, Micronesia, and my brother and some other friends came to paint my house. Now, I specifically told them the color I wanted. And I said, I want brownish color, a tan. And I said, I want this particular tan color. Well, I left. When I came back, what color did I expect the house to be? Well, that particular tan color. If I had said I want the house to be painted white, then what color should I expect to see the house painted in? You would say, of course, white. Now, I did not have to say to my brother, I don't want it to be black, I don't want it to be pink, I don't want it to be red, I don't want it to be green, I don't want it to be blue, I don't want it to be yellow, I don't want it to be all the different colors of the rainbow. All I had to say is, I want my house painted this particular tan color. And therefore, sub-additionally, it completely removes any other possibility. So, since that's the case, there are many issues that are floating today out there within our church. And the simple way to, to satisfy or to make concrete what God wants is to find out what he states uh, as to what he declares. Once he declares that, it eliminates any other possibility, unless later on he adds it. But you can see then that then God is the one that has to add it, and you have to find that where? In the scriptures. So we do not have to be like the little child who wants to get his way. And even if God did not say you cannot go out that door, you would try to find a way to get your way by saying, well, God did not say that I can't do this. or God did not say that I cannot do that. It should be sufficient that your Lord and master makes it clear. This is what I've said. And that's what is intended. So sub-additional language. That may be a new concept for you, but it's throughout the scriptures. And it would solve many of the issues today if we would simply accept a thus saith the Lord. What do you say? Well, there's another challenge that is present, and that is the inspiration of the scriptures. Uh, there are people who assume that if uh, God in the scripture says something culturally, then it's not inspired. In other words, if Paul says something that is cultural or perceived to be cultural in those days, then it is not an inspired statement. Well, the problem with that statement is this. As you consider the scriptures, the scripture plays a very important role in our lives. Number one, through the Bible, it, it says that we are sanctified, John 17. It says it is of no private interpretation. It tells us that Jesus is the center. Search your scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they that testify of me. It is given for guidance, for doctrine, for correction, for instruction. It brings comfort and hope. It strengthens and builds faith. 
we become partakers, not of the human nature, but of the divine nature as we claim the promises in God's word. That's Second Peter chapter 1. Then we are able to resist the power of evil through the word, through the Bible. It is a light unto our uh, path and a lamp unto our feet. It is also truth. So the word of God plays a, a very essential element in our experience. And in order for us to find salvation, we must be willing to follow and thus save the Lord. But we also need to believe that it is truly, completely inspired. If it is not considered to be inspired, then we are doing like the little boy, trying to find a, some different applications of something that's not there. And I have known the people who make up things that are supposed to be in the scriptures, but they're not there. I had a lady one time, a church member, who asked me a question. Pastor, where in the Bible does it say that a crowing hen and a whistling woman is an abomination unto the Lord? Well, I knew that that verse did not exist in the Bible. So I said, that's in Hezekiah chapter 46. Well, she said to me, I knew you would know the answer. And as she was walking away, she turns around and she says, there is no Hezekiah. And I said, that's true. There is no book named Hezekiah. Neither is there any such verse in the scriptures. Well, that verse was created in the deep south of, of the United States, in the east, because men did not believe that women should whistle. So they came up with something that sounded like the Bible, saying that a crowing hen, now you know a hen does not crow, a rooster does. So they said a crowing hen and a whistling woman is an abomination unto the Lord. Well, that kept a lot of ladies silent, wouldn't whistle, because they thought the Bible said that they shouldn't whistle. Well, that poor lady that asked me the question discovered that there is no such verse because there's no such book, Hezekiah. Well, Jesus uses the scriptures to correct wrongs or ideologies or cultural or otherwise to establish a truth or to encourage faithfulness and obedience. In other words, for Jesus, the final word was the Bible. He also pronounced the word as the only source of power over temptation. In other words, if you want to overcome temptation, the source to go to is a thus saith the Lord. It is written. Through it is written, you can Cast those thoughts that come into your mind away. So you cannot overcome sin unless you believe in the inspiration of the scriptures. Listen, because God is the source of the word and the source of life, Jesus confirms that the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The word engenders life. It brings life. It awakens the mind. It energizes the thoughts. It is a wonderful, wonderful instrument that God has given to us. And so, it is through the exceeding great and precious promises of the word that we might become partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. If you ever want to overcome the things of the world, again, you tend to the word. But as I said, you must believe that it is inspired. It is by taking heed to the word that a young man can cleanse his way. As it says in Psalms 119 verse 9, and by hearing the word, faith not only awakens, but is strengthened. In the book of Hebrews, it even tells us that the word is 
of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Well, having such an element of this at, at our reach, I would certainly be afraid of any attempts to cut out any part as culturally uninspired. For the scriptures are filled with many stories saturated with cultural issues. For example, uh, the contention between the wife and the concubine of Abraham. It is there purposefully not removed or included by God from his pages. Because through these examples that were culturally or not culturally, we learn what God's will is for us. And so there's nothing in the scriptures that can be considered cultural sufficiently enough to extricate or to remove from the Holy Word. In fact, Jesus did say, search the scriptures. And of course, in his day, the scriptures were the Old Testament. But Jesus also inspired the New Testament. So I believe that this statement applies to both the Old and the New. For in them you think you have eternal life, and there they will testify of me. It is through the Word that we find and understand how we can achieve to reach eternal life. And uh, through the Word, we discover the secrets of life and how to live a better life. But listen, I know you know all these things, but today there's a challenge uh, and a front to the Word of God. And so there are actual scholars who are now telling us that they've discovered that cultural things in the Bible are not inspired. Now the problem is this, here's the question. Is it possible for anyone to determine which part is inspired and which part is not? Now, I can hear you thinking and saying, no, it's not possible. But let me confirm that. First of all, you remember this text, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. And that from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, how much? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So we find then through the scriptures, we find reproof, we find correction, we find instruction, we find the teachings, which is what the word doctrine means, and through the word, we also find life eternal. Wonderful. Because it says, make thee wise unto salvation through faith. Both which are gifts from God. And so, the word inspiration in the Greek is theonoustos, which literally means God breathed. Today we have equipment called pneumatic equipment, which means driven by air. So the word theo means God, and neutos means breath or air, which means then God breathed or God inspired. In other words, the writers to the Bible were uh, what we would call scribes. They were like the secretaries. When I was a president, I had a secretary. I would dictate a letter. She would type it out for me. And then I would read it to make sure that it said what I intended it to say. So the writers of the scriptures are merely not authors. They were scribes or secretaries that wrote down what God spoke through them by divine inspiration. And so that's why Peter wrote, knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture and by the way, the Bible is filled with many prophecies, and the Bible itself is a prophecy, as it were. That no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved 
by the Holy Ghost. Now notice, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so it is clear from the scriptures then that God inspired it. Given that they both believe, speaking about Paul and Peter, that the Bible was God-inspired, it lends to the reason why they ardently defended and commended it. Paul's writings were based upon his understanding and dependence upon the Bible as being the irrefutable word of God. To the Romans, Paul wrote, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. For whatsoever things were written afore were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Very important to understand, this is Romans chapter 1, verse 2, and chapter 10, verse 17, and chapter 15, and verse 4. Let's continue on. In Acts chapter 20, and verse 32, Paul says, And now, brethren, I commend to you, pardon me, I commend you to God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, in the event that you cannot see the text. In Romans 15 and verse 4, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So the scriptures not only bring understanding, but understanding brings us patience and comfort and hope. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 through 16, you have your Bibles again. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable twist or rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. And I want you to understand what Peter is writing. He is making it clear that the writings of Paul are scriptures. And he's including them as part of the other scriptures that people rest to their own destructions. So Peter saw the writings of Paul as scriptures. Paul himself makes it plain that all that he wrote and saw, he wrote down. Now, sometimes Paul may say, I'm saying this, but the fact that it's recorded in the scriptures demonstrates that inspiration included that as part of its inspiration. So even though Paul says, now I'm saying this, it doesn't mean that you can discount it because Paul says this, but rather, that because it isn't holy writ, it is now included, not just as Paul's words, but as the Lord inspiring for that to be written for you and for me. And Peter saw those things as godly inspired. In Matthew 24, verse 35, Matthew 24 and verse 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my, notice it doesn't say word, he says, words shall not pass away. The Bible was given to us with the intent that you and I would have counsel so that we would know how to live godly lives. We would know how to overcome sin. We would know what kind of food we should eat. We would know how to dress. We would need, know how to speak and what to say. We would know how to lead our lives. 
we would know how to work well, how to be good husbands, how to be good wives, how to be good children, how to be good parents. All of these things are revealed in Holy Writ for the benefit of mankind, that through the word, people can actually become partakers of that wonderful divine nature, which is by faith in Christ. In John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus says, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Just think of it. There's nothing in this world that you can take that gives you life. In other words, I'm saying you can take any book and read it, and it will not engender life. The reason for it is that the Word of God is inspired, and therefore it contains the power and life of God in it. Notice what it says in, this, in the book, Desire of Ages 319. Desire of Ages, page 319. He spoke the Word of God as he had spoken through all the prophets and teachers of the Old Testament. So notice and it is Jesus who has spoken through all the teachers and prophets of the Old Testament. The whole Bible, how much of it? The whole Bible is a manifestation of Christ. And the Savior desired to fix the faith of his followers on the Word. The soul that converses with God through the scriptures, who prays for light and opens the door of his heart to the Savior, will not have evil imaginings. Isn't that a wonderful promise? So as we converse with God through the scriptures, we will not have evil imaginings, worldly schemings, or ambitious lust after honor or distinction in any line. He who seeks for the truth as for a hidden treasure will find it in God's means of communication with man, his word. David says, the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. That quote is found in Medical Ministries, page 123. Now I continue. In terms of inspiration, what part is inspired and what part is not inspired? Because there are those who are now saying that many of the statements of Paul were cultural in nature and therefore they're not inspired. But listen to what the servant of the Lord wrote. What man is there that dares to take that Bible and say this part is inspired and that part is not inspired? I would have both of my arms taken off at my shoulders before I would ever make a statement or set my judgment upon the word of God as to what is inspired and what is not inspired. Notice that she says, I would rather have my arms cut off at my shoulders before, notice what she says, I would ever make the statement or set my judgment upon the word of God as to what is inspired and what is not inspired. Here's another part of that statement. I would have both my arms taken off at the shoulders before I would make, ever make the statement or set my judgment upon the word of God as to what is inspired and what is not. There's another statement that I chose, which is very important here. There's some that may think that they're fully capable with their finite judgment to take the word of God and to state what are the words of inspiration and what are not the words of inspiration. I want to warn you off that ground, my brethren, in the ministry. So she's speaking to ministers or writing to them. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. There is no finite man that lives I cannot who he is or whatever is his position that God has authorized to pick and choose in his word. I have come across people 
who go to churches where they're told that this part of the, of the Bible is not for us, the Old Testament, or this part of the Bible in the New Testament is not for us. I was for the Hebrews, the Jews. The only book for the Christian is the book of Galatians. But the truth of the matter is that no one has been given that authority. God himself has not given that authority. We cannot pick and choose in this word. We must take it all as his word. But we have been warned since we're living in the last days for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fable. Second Timothy chapter four, verse three and four. Second Timothy chapter four, verses three and four. And so it's a very dangerous thing for anyone to decide that they are going to pick and choose from the word of God. It is all inspired. And because it is all inspired, it is all for you. God has taken the time to have it written for your advantage, for your guidance, for your happiness, for your joy, for your peace, and for your comfort. I'm thankful that the word of God also ennobles and enlightens the mind. Listen, when I first became a Christian, I had a difficult time memorizing, remembering things. Unfortunately, I used to use substance uh, like marijuana and drugs. And when I became a Christian, sometimes I would say something one day and the next day I didn't even remember that I said it. But I began to try to read the Bible. I took a dictionary to understand what some words meant. I took the, the Bible commentaries to find out what they, they were saying. And the more that I studied, the more that I prayed, the more that I shared, I didn't realize what was happening. I went into the military and I didn't even have a high school diploma, even though I was a professional musician with Bill Haley and the Comets. So I was a rock and roll star work, working with a famous, world famous group, but yet <clears throat> I was basically illiterate. So what happened to me was that while in the military, I was stationed with people who had master's degrees, master in English, master in math, master in science, etc., And I was the only dummy among them. And so, but however, they would throw philosophies at me and I would always go to find the answer in the Bible. And one day, one of the atheists said to me, we can't figure you out, Taurus. You're basically uneducated. How do you come up with these answers? I said, it's in the word. It's in the word. Well, I decided then to see if I can take a high school diploma. So I went to school there and I asked to take the test. And the teacher said, no, I wouldn't take the test if I were you. How long have you been out of school? I said, eight years. He said, then I take classes first and then take the test. Well, I said to him, look, I'd rather take the test because if I take the test and I'm at least halfway get there, then it'll encourage me to take the classes. But if I take the test and completely, completely do terrible, then I'll forget the whole idea. Well, he liked the concept that I gave him. So he said, okay, I will let you take the test. You know what happened? I didn't realize that by reading the scriptures, it was, was expanding my ability to memorize and to read and to understand. When I took the, all the tests at the high school level, I passed them all. Amazing. So now I was not completely a dummy. Now at least I had a little education. However, from that I decided to go into college and realized and found out that the studying of the Word of God actually enabled me to understand, to read, 
And what happened was then I, it helped me with my memory as well. Now I can remember, and I, I have a, a volumes of things in my mind from the scriptures that I would have never had, had I not first turned to the Bible and through prayer and sharing, God continued to expand and expand and expand my ability to understand the scriptures and more importantly, to know him. The Bible is to be presented as the word of the infinite God, as the end of all controversy and the foundation of all faith. This comes from the book, Christ's Object Lessons, page 39. I'd like to continue. When Jesus left this earth, when his visible presence should be withdrawn, the word of God must be their source of power. Like their master, they were to live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. It comes from the Desire of Ages, page 390. In other words, since he was leaving, he left them with something that could help them continue to grow in grace and understanding. And the Spirit of God then enabled them to have the word. In fact, so much so that when they were tried, they could tell that these men had been with Jesus. Well, God gives the messages and then takes special care that it is not corrupted. There are people who argue that the Bible has this mistake and that mistake. Listen, don't believe that. God has not fallen asleep or taken a vacation and left his word to be so um, dealt with that all things have been changed. The truth of the matter is God gives the message and then takes special care that it is not corrupted. This comes from um, manuscript number one, page 306. I love the scriptures because it is a blessing to me. But listen, I want you to see something more exciting. Notice it says in every command and in every promise, I'm reading from Christ's Object Lessons, page 38. Notice what it says. Christ's Object Lessons, page 38. In every command and in every promise of the Word of God is the power, the very life of God, by which the command may be fulfilled and the promise realized. He who by faith receives the Word is receiving the very life and character of God. You want to become more like God in character and in heart and in mind? then you must consider that what you have in your hand is not just another book. In other words, just like the plant is in the seed, so the life of God is in this word. You hold a holy book inspired by God that actually gives life. Praise the Lord, what do you say? So it says in every command, so if God commands it, and in every promise of the word of God is the power, the very life of God, by which the command may be fulfilled and the promise realized. He who by faith receives the word is receiving the very life and character of God. I remember I came across a lady in a department store. She looked like she was trying to find something and she couldn't. Uh, I was wearing a shirt and tie. So uh, she assumed that I worked there because when I said, Madam, can I help you? She said, I'm looking for a certain thing. I said, I know where it is, I'll show you. I took her right to it. So she said, you ought to, be, uh, the company that you work for must be proud of a person like you. They ought to be very proud that you work here. I said, well, Madam, I don't work here. Then she got embarrassed, she said, oh, you don't work here. Uh, no, I don't work here. Oh, this is so embarrassing. I said, it's okay, I'm a Christian, I love to help people. Well, it turned out that she was actually from Iran, so she was a Persian. And she said, you're a Christian? Why is your God so negative? I said, what do you mean negative? All his commands says, do not, do not, do not, do not. Well, I said to her, well, what's easier, to tell you what you shouldn't do or to tell you all that you can do? It is just simpler to say, don't go out the door than to say, I, don't want you to do this, don't want you to do that, do this, do this, do this, do this. In fact, I said to her, every command is a promise. 
If God said, don't kill, it means I'm capable of not killing. If God says, don't steal, it means that I'm capable of not stealing. If God said, don't commit adultery, that means I'm capable of being pure and holy. And so, if God says, don't lie, then I'm capable to tell the truth. All those commands are promises, and they engender life. She was amazed. She had never heard that before. And so, you hold in your hand that which has the very life of God by which the command may be fulfilled and the promise realized. We are talking about, in this convocation, what if we ask? Well, listen, there are over 3,000 promises in the Word of God that you can claim for every need of life, every need of life. And in that command comes the power that comes into the mind and heart to accomplish what God has said. So none of us should ask less. We should ask more. What if we did ask more? What God can do for us? Listen, the word has power. And I can tell you many, many stories of the power of God through his word. I was in Romania preaching to thousands of people in the city of Tilgamurish. And uh, one particular evening as I was going to the, uh, to the dressing room after I finished, there was a, my translator said, these two young men want to talk to you. So I said, yes, can I help you? And one of the young men said to the translator, do for my friend what you did for me. I said, I, I'm sorry, but uh, what, I don't know your friend. What have I done for him? I haven't done anything for him. Yes, you have. Do for my friend what you have done for me. And I said, I don't understand. So then he rolled up his sleeve and there were all sorts of scars from knife fights that he and his buddy would go out. They would get drunk and then they would get into these fights with knives. And so his arms were filled with scars. And he said, you see all this? He said, something's happened to me since I've been listening to you. I no longer want to fight. I no longer want to drink. Do for him what you've done for me. And I then understood. He was listening to the word of God and the word that created a new life in him. And he thought that I did it. And I said, no, I didn't do it. God did it. Well, I don't know how you explain it, he said, but do for him what you've done for me. The young man was standing there weaving like a, a ship on the ocean, back and forth. He was drunk. His eyes were bloodshot. His hair was all messed up. His face was dirty. And uh, as I looked at that poor young man, he was about 19 years old. I said to him, do you want to be changed? He said, I, uh, yes. I said, how badly do you want to be changed? I'm willing to do anything. I said, even to kneel down and pray. He said, yes. So we helped him down because he could barely stand. And then I said, you pray. Me? I said, you pray, yes. And ask God to deliver you. And then I will pray for you. So we knelt down together and as that young man wept and begged that God would deliver him, I have to be honest with you, my eyes were wet with tears. And then I pled with God that that word that that young man heard would actually be efficacious and powerful enough to change that young man. And then we stood up and I said, go home and never go back to that life. He said, yes. You know what happened? That young man with his friend who said, do for him what you did for me, came and brought their gypsy wives because those two young men were gypsies. And the gypsy wives kissed me on the cheeks on both sides. And they were so excited. And I said, my sisters, God is the one that did it through his word. And they said, we too want to be baptized with our husbands because we have seen the power of God in their lives. Our friends, what a joy. Amazing. 
what the word of God can do. But you must receive it as the word of God. You must receive it as the power of God. You must claim it. And I can tell you many, many stories about what God can do through his word. Do not accept from anybody the idea that the word is, is, has been tainted and twisted and changed. Accept it as the word of God because Jesus accepted it as the word. And believe in it. Trust in it. Let it come into your mind. Memorize it. And you will discover the wonders that God can perform in your life through that precious word. It is inspired, completely inspired, given by God. And it is for you and for me. I thank God for his word. And listen, because of his word, my brothers became converted. All my family became converted. And because of the preaching of the words, thousands have been converted as I have gone from country to country. There is power in this book. It is not just an ordinary book. Therefore, it is the word of God. Have you accepted it as the word of God? Have you considered what I have just said today? Have you tried sometimes to circumvent what God has said because you did not find that God didn't say you couldn't do it? But today you recognize that you're guilty and you want to say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to accept and thus save the Lord. Help me to believe it and to seek to bring my life in harmony with it. Because I now understand that you don't have to say all the things that have to be added. All you have to do is say what you want. And that is what I want. I want your will to be done in my life. Make it, Lord, so that through thy word, I not only can learn your will, but I can follow if it's your desire today to say, oh, God, forgive me. Yes, there have been the moments when I wanted to do my own will. And even though I knew what God had said, I tried to find some other way to circumvent that. Oh, God didn't say I can't go to a movie. Oh, God didn't say I cannot go to a nightclub. Oh, God didn't say I cannot go to a dance. Oh, God didn't say I cannot keep some money that somebody didn't realize they gave me and it was not mine. In other words, God has to, doesn't have to say that. All that God has to say is what he wants, and that should be sufficient for the believing Christian. It's like a child trusting. Uh, when a child is told by a parent, uh, I want you to stay here, they understand what that means. If they're good children, if they're not, they're trying to find a way to get around what mother didn't say or what father didn't say. Our friends, it is dangerous to do that with the word of God. Accept it, believe in it, trust in it, claim those promises. And through those promises, you'll discover that your mind will become better able to sift out those thoughts that the devil throws at you. And through the promises, you can overcome those evil thoughts and become a conqueror in your life through the word of God. The spirit of God is working in your heart and since you have listened to this message, commit yourself completely to God. Commit yourself to believing his word, to accepting his word, to trust his word, and to believe that it is there for you. It is heaven's message for you who are here on earth. And through this message, God will then make you an extraterrestrial being. In other words, you will be able to live with God forever because you've accepted his communication from heaven to earth through Jesus. And so he is the word. And when we accept his word, we're accepting Jesus. Will you accept Jesus today? On the screen, as you see the barcode, perhaps these are new concepts and you have not accepted Christ totally in your heart and you would like to do so. When that barcode comes up, and check off what is in your heart this morning. I desire to accept Christ as my personal Savior. If you have not been baptized, why not decide today, I want to commit my heart and life fully to him. If you have been baptized before, but you've neglected your wage, you turn your back, like a doctor who came to me in Switzerland. He said, I, 
I grew up in a pastor's home, but I left away and I, in, in heart and in mind, I was not there for years. And now, even though I was baptized as a young man, I did not live the Christian life and I want to be rebaptized. Can I get rebaptized? And I said, absolutely, because the Bible teaches that. Perhaps you've wandered away, you want to come back to God. Why not decide to do it today? And if you need prayer, please check that off. I need prayer. In fact, let me have prayer with you. Father, we thank you for your blessed word. We thank you for the counsels. We thank you for the guidance. And Lord, if we have a challenge with believing, then help our unbelief, as the man says. And enable us to find in these passages the life that you promise is in it. And bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.